Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we interview people from our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We'll hear their powerful stories and get their advice so that we can be better leaders for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I am your host, Cliff Duvinois. Our guest serves on several committees for the Mackinac Associates. He also serves for the Little Traverse Conservancy Board of Directors and the Historical Society of Michigan. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the director of the Mackinac State Historical Parts and the author of the book, Mackinac, an island famous in these regions, Phil Porter. Phil, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Cliff. Thank you for being on the podcast today. We really do appreciate your time. Why don't you tell the audience uh, where you're from? Born and raised in Michigan, I grew up in uh, Gross Point Woods, and my parents had a summer home on Mackinac Island. So from the time I was little, I spent my summers on the island and my winters in in Gross Point. And while I was uh, attending college, Kenyon College in Ohio, I started working at Fort Mackinac in 1972 as a tour guide, and I haven't left uh, the fort yet. So it's been a great career working on Mackinac and for the Mackinac State Historic Parks. Oh, I bet. I absolutely bet. Now, why did you decide to go to Kenya College in Ohio? Well, Kenyon is where both my uh, father and my grandfather went. Uh, they had strong roots in Ohio, and I grew up visiting my grandfather, who was on the a trustee at the college when I was a young boy, and I just fell in love with the community and the college, and it was a great place to get an education. I was a history major there, and following that, I went to the State University of New York, the Cooperstown Graduate Program of History Museum Studies, where I got my master's degree in museum studies, all while I was working summers at Fort Mackinac and was able to come back in 1976 and began working full-time for the Mackinac State Historic Parks. So it's probably safe to say that uh, Mackinac Island really is in your blood. Yeah, it, it really is. Next year will be my uh, my 50th year uh, working there. So it's yeah, it's been, it's been a part of who I am for a long time. Now, why did you decide to pursue a degree in history? Well, I've always been interested in history. <clears throat> and as I was looking at different potential careers in history, the idea of doing public history, of working in a historic site and through the different kinds of educational methods that historic sites have, whether it's live interpretation or exhibits or hands-on interactive displays, I thought that was the most engaging and exciting way of, of teaching. And I think people like to learn history that way as well. So it kind of combined my interest in, in being involved in in history, and but doing it in a way that shared it, it uh, with the public in the most uh, broad and, and diverse way possible. It is, and and I I do I do want to make sure that we explore that topic. But before we before we move on for that, after after college, then did you just go to work for the uh, historical parks? Yes, I did. I, I after I graduated and finished my my classes uh, for my master's degree, I I went to work for uh, Mackinac State Historic Parks. I was first curator of collections and then curator of interpretation and then chief curator. And then in 2003, I was appointed uh, director of the of the agency. That's excellent. Now, I know I mentioned before in my introduction that, that you wrote a book. Oh, excuse me. Let me try that again. Now, I know that when you're doing your work on Mackinac Island, that you also decided to write a book. And I know that writing a book is a very intense labor of love to do. Why did you, why did you decide to write a book on Mackinac? Well, the Mackinac State Historic Parks has a really nice, uh, long, and productive history in in 
publications. We've been uh, producing books since 1960. We're one of the uh, largest museum-based publication programs uh, in the country. We have well over 100 titles that we've put out. So it's always been a part of our the DNA of our organization, the research that we do for exhibits or for living history programs or for reconstructions or restorations, we try to work that into something that we can share more generally with the public. The particular book that you mentioned, Mackinac, an island famous in these regions, is is an overview history of Mackinac from furs to fish. It's, it's to uh, all the way up to fudge. It's it's the it's the full story of Mackinac from prehistoric Native American settlement on the island all the way again through through uh, Mackinac today including the evolution of the fudge business on the island it's, it's in one book it's a place where the, we tell the whole story I absolutely love that I've never heard that before fish to furs to fudge oh that's great and if somebody was interested in perhaps getting a couple of those books are, are there's a, are there a few titles that stand out that say you know what these books here are definitely worth your time reading the great thing about our publication program is that we, we have a little something for everybody. We have children's books. We have coloring books. We have uh, very detailed archaeological treatises. We have uh, books on military history, on social history, on economic history. And what I would do is encourage people to go to our website, which is MackinawParks.com, and go to uh, books or publications and there's a whole list and a description of every one of our books. And they'll probably find something they would be interested in there. And then they can contact us for ordering information. Sure thing. Now, when for the, there's a lot of rich history that is associated with Mackinac Island, even predating the the Revolutionary War. And I know that you and your staff go through a lot of pains to maintain that authentic feel. So when people come to the parks, it literally feels like they are time traveling. How do you how do you and your staff maintain that level of authenticity? Well, it begins by doing really a good solid research. And fortunately, again, in our organization, we have a, a strong heritage of having people in the position where they can do the research so that we can get the story accurate. And then we do what we can in order to make sure that that accurate hi- history is communicated to the public in a way that is both educational but entertaining at the, at the same time. And uh, it's just, again, it's a part of the way that we approach our business every day is to, is to be accurate, informative, educational, but also entertaining. We want people to enjoy themselves while, while they're uh, at our sites. And speaking of which, about how many people do you estimate come through those parks every year? Our three parks include uh, Mackinac Island State Park, Michelin Mackinac State Park, and Mill Creek. They're all in the Straits of Mackinac region. Our total visitation to our parks is uh, about a million people every year. Of that group, about 350,000 are the paying customers that come into our historic sites. And we have a variety of them from Fort Mackinac and the Richard and Jane Manoogian Mackinac Art Museum on the island to the Colonial Michelin Mackinac and Old Mackinac Point Lighthouse and Michelin Mackinac State Park and Historic Mill Creek Discovery Park at uh, Mill Creek. And then our newest one that we're adding this year is on the island again. It's uh, the Mackinac Native American Museum at the Biddle House. So those are, are sort of the, the family of museums and historic sites that we have for the public every year. Excellent. And why did you go ahead and make the decision to, to add the Native American park to the Biddle House? It's part of our strategic planning that's been going on for about five years. We just felt that we had, uh, had undertold the story of the first settlers in the Straits of Mackinac, the native people who had been here for centuries. And so it, there was a 
two-part effort. There is a two-part effort. The first was to create something we call the Mackinac Island um, Native American Cultural History Trail. And it's basically the road around the island. And on that road now, we have six different interpretive stops where you can learn about uh, Native American history from the very earliest connection with Mackinac Island right through their life in this area today. We still do have uh, both Obey and and Odawa uh, tribes living in the area today. So that was the first part. That was kind of an outdoor biking interpretive experience. And then our second part is is to create an indoor museum type of experience. And that's the Mackinac Island Native American Museum at the Biddle House, which is right downtown on Market Street on Mackinac Island. It's a historic home that was the home of Edward and Agatha Biddle. And Agatha was a Native American woman. And we are telling the story sort of through her life and her experiences as a Native American woman. But it's really the broad story, again, told about why Mackinac has always been significant to Native people, both historically and still today. That's excellent. And I, I have to I have to say that's going to add a new dimension to the the overall story that you're trying to tell with with regards to to Mackinac's history. So I think that's really cool that you guys are doing that. With regards to the Mackinac State Parks, and I know that this year was set to be the 125th anniversary of the Mackinac State Parks. There was all kinds of festivities that were planned throughout the year. If I read correctly, there was like 125 days of different types of festivities, festivals that were going to go on. Even a special beer was going to be brewed just for the occasion. But then COVID-19 swept across our country and everything closed down. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to having to having to basically shut down all these parks. Yeah, it's been a huge challenge. It's been the most challenging experience that I've had uh, in in my nearly 50 years of working there. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have we have basically been been shut down. We typically would have opened on May 1st this year. We're not opening until the middle part of June now. So for 6 to 7 weeks, we will we will not be open when otherwise we would be open. And that means that all the school groups that would have come in the spring will not be able to come. That means that tens of thousands of visitors that would be the spring and early summer visitors won't be traveling to the sites. And when we do open up, we will open up with great care being paid to taking care of our staff and making sure that they're safe and healthy and making sure that our visitors, when they come to our sites, will stay safe and healthy as well. So much of our planning for the last month or more has been on how we're going to reopen in such a way. And uh, we're still going to celebrate the 125th anniversary of Mackinac Island State Park, Michigan's first state park. There still will be a beer that is being created in honor of that by the uh, brewery in nice. Mackinac City. And uh, it's called a Beer to Mac is the name of the brewery. And they're going to be creating a beer for us. And also Ribus Fudge on Mackinac is going to do a, a anniversary fudge uh, flavor for us as well. So some things are going to continue, uh, but we certainly are, are being very cautious about how we open and I want to assure visitors that when they come, that the utmost will be done from all businesses on Mackinac Island to ensure that their trip there and to all of our sites will be as safe as possible. And speaking of being safe as possible, and, and I know that with, you know, fingers crossed that we're, we start opening up here within the next few weeks. And I know you talked about opening up the parks, the middle of June timeframe. There's going to be a lot of families that are going to want to get out. They're going to want to travel. They're going to, you know, they've been cooped up in their house for two or three months. It is summertime. Kids are out of school. One of the things that they're going to be doing is they're going to be thinking about traveling uh, to state parks like the Mackinac Historical Parks. 
from your perspective, what what are like what would three things be that families should consider when they're going out to the state parks to keep their families safe? Well, first of all, I would like to say that, that I think all of the state parks in Michigan offer a great travel experience, especially this summer, because they are open air places. There's places where you can easily accommodate the social distancing guidelines that we've been given. So I, I really think that state parks are going to be an ideal place for people who are really feeling cooped up to get away from it all. At our three parks, not only will you have those experiences, but on top of that, you'll have the opportunity to experience our historic sites in which we too have created and are creating an environment where people will be safe. We have canceled some of the things that we normally do because they don't allow for social distancing, but most of what we do will still be happening. And we are right now working on all of the procedures necessary to keep people moving in a way that minimizes, you know, gathering together in places that makes it possible for people to enjoy our programs and our exhibits safely. We have a very robust cleaning program that we are initiating. And we think that these kinds of experiences in our parks and in our historic sites will be an ideal outlet for people this summer where they really want to get away from it all, but they want to, they want to be safe. They, they want to be at a place where congestion is down. And I will say up north, we've been very fortunate so far. We've, we have a, a really minimal number of cases of the COVID-19 virus, and hopefully we'll, we'll stay that way. And we think that we really have something to offer people when it's time to travel this summer that will be safe and enjoyable. Sure thing. And putting together these, these, you know, these cleaning plans, the, you know, how are, how are we going to keep everything sanitized and everything else like that? Walk us a little bit through kind of what are you, you know, what are you looking at as far as guidelines go? Who is helping to make you make those decisions to keep the public safe? And I asked that question because it seems like every day that I get out of bed, there's something new or something has changed with regards to COVID-19. So what are what are some of the sources or guidelines that that you're following? Well, that, that's a great question because that's that's really sort of what we're in the thick of doing right now. So internally, Mackinac State Historic Parks for about a month has had something called the Reopening Committee. It's a task force that I put together specifically to look at our sites and the challenges that we have in accommodating visitors and taking care of our staff. So they've been busy at work for, for over a month now, figuring out how to safely reopen and welcome guests. On top of that, the state of Michigan, through our, our department, which is the Department of Natural Resources, is also creating a, uh, a document called Safely Returning Employees to the Workplace. And that gives guidance for our staff and how they can get back to work. And it's, it's a very detailed, between that plan and our internal plan, very detailed approach to how we take care of our staff members in their various work locations and how we try to ensure that when the visitors come to our sites, they will we'll be able to minimize the gathering together of guests. So we have traffic patterns that we're establishing, one-way traffic patterns like we've seen in the stores around their house. We have a very robust plan for constantly cleaning and sanitizing our more uh, hands-on areas, like some of our exhibits, our rest areas, restroom areas, and so on. And also just making sure that everybody on the staff understands that it's their job to be attentive and aware of these kinds of situations, personal protection equipment if it's needed, like masks and gloves. So those are the kinds of details that we're working on right now. And it involves a lot of time and a lot of planning but again, I think it's the kind of thing that if we do it right, and I think we will, that people, when they come to our sites, will know that we've been attentive to these issues and will feel safe coming into our into our parks and our museums. 
Yeah, and I, I I have to agree with that, and and it's good that you're you've established this committee to take a look at all those guidelines. One of the questions that I do want to ask is I had I had Chris Shepler on the podcast uh, just a few weeks ago with Shepler Ferries, and he was talking about how one of the things that he and his business are having to look at is. Of course, is they can't fill their boats up all the way to capacity because they're looking at things like social distancing. And this is going to directly impact not only the, you know, the number of people that they can take over to uh, Mackinac Island, but, you know, let alone, you know, the number of people that they can carry in a boat. So, you know, with that being said, do you do you see that the the par- the opening of the parks, you're going to have to figure out some way to either restrict the number of people that are coming in there to observe the social distancing or, you know, what is your, what is your thinking or what is your plan around that? That's a great question. Uh, first of all, we also have sites on the island where you don't have to take a boat to. So the, the challenge of, of, of limiting the number of people coming into our mainland sites isn't like we have on the island with, with them having the issues with the ferry boat traffic. But yes, okay. we've been looking specifically at how our sites will accommodate people in a safe way. And the nice thing is that when you come into them, by their very nature, they allow for social distancing. So in general, our sites really lend themselves to the kind of safe distancing that we want to create. We have a few visitor experiences that we are not opening right away because they are more challenging. For example, at Old Mackinac Point Lighthouse, we have a a tour of our tower. That is a very narrow stairway that goes up and down. And when you're on the top, it's uh, very tiny. There's definitely no room for uh, social distancing there. And we're not going to have the tower open, at least at the beginning part of the season. What we are doing, however, is we've created an alternate virtual experience where people can get the view and experience the same panoramic vista that you would experience, but without going up there. At Historic Mill Creek Discovery Park, we have the Adventure Tour, which is the High Ropes Course Tour. The problem with that is that our staff has to be very interactive with people and putting the harnesses on. And again, at the beginning of the year, we will not be doing that program because uh, it just doesn't allow for the social distancing that we'd like. All our other interpretive activities and programs and exhibits and uh, displays are all open, but that part will not be open. At Fort Mackinac, where we have a little more congestion, but still lots of open spaces, we're creating traffic patterns so that people will be moving in the same direction, not crossing each other when they're going through buildings. And again, that will allow for the kind of safe distancing that we want. So it's that kind of thing. And uh, some of the kinds of things that we are postponing doing, at least at the beginning of the year, to try and keep people safe. I really I really love that. And it makes me think of all these stores and everything else that have these you know arrows on the ground and trying to direct people where they're walking. So that way they're not you know, crossing in each other's path and everything else like that. So it's actually very clever thinking on your part. I really do like that. Even when they come um, to our, our admission areas, we will have on the floor, on the ground, on the carpet, we'll have the distancing markers so that people stay back. We have the plexiglass all ordered to protect the staff from the visitor and vice versa. We have um, masks and other personal protection devices for our staff. So now these are the kinds of things that we're, we've, we've ordered weeks ago and we are in the process of installing right now. Again, so that when we open in mid-June, we will be ready to go and safely welcome our, our guests. Awesome. And I do want to take a step back here of something that you mentioned before, and you, you were talking about how the there's, there is the lighthouse experience that people can uh, experience that virtually. Is there any other areas of the park where you guys are using technology to help enhance the the visitor experience? Not so much in the park, but what we've done while we've been closed is 
out of the frustration of not being able to share our great history with um, the world, we have moved a lot of our exhibits and a lot of our experiences through videos online. We now have a page on MackinawParks.com that's called Explore at Home. It's a brand new page that we created specifically during the crisis here so that people can can learn about us while they're at home so that we can fulfill our mission of, of presenting Mackinac history, even though our sites are otherwise closed. It began with an attempt to make sure that the kids who are still in school had access to some of our historic resources. But now we have all kinds of videos and programs online for visitors to, to learn about. And I think if they watch them, they'll get excited and, and hopefully that will entice them to come up and, and learn more by actually being on the site as well. I actually think that's a really great idea because you what you've done through technology is you know people can't come to the parks, but the parks can come to them. I love that. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that so much. Great. Well, if people want to learn more information about, you know, the parks, and we were just talking about some of these virtual exhibits and stuff, where, you know, where can they, where can they follow you? Where can they learn more about this information? Yeah, you can do one-stop shopping at our, our website, Mackinac Parks. That's uh, Mackinac with a C on the end, Mackinac Parks, one word, dot com. And there, there's information about when our sites are going to open, what programs and activities are going to be open, all of our special activities for the summer. There will be information about buying our publications, all the information uh, under Explore at Home for those visitors who'd like to learn more about us before they even come up north. So everything's on MackinawParks.com. Excellent. And for our audience, we will have those links in the show notes down below. Phil, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Cliff. Good talking with you as well. Hey everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe to our email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get new episode announcements. You'll get all kinds of great behind the scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callofleadership.com email, type in your email address, and you're done. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.